Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. When my child was younger and still thought dear old dad was the absolute coolest, or at least tolerable, we'd get to the end of the week and rather than make yet another meal, we'd pull out the generic Tupperware containers because I am not paying for the good stuff and see what we could turn into dinner. Rather than always calling them leftovers, I like to use the term smorgasbord as that sounded much more upscale. Either way, the bottom line is that we had some stuff we didn't finish before, and it's perfectly good eaten, so let's take these bits and pieces and make a solid meal. On today's episode, we're going to shake, rattle, and roll, and then we'll wish we were animals. Finally, we're going to get a hearty helping of fatty liver. Mm-hmm. So grab your Geiger counter, put on your furry suit, and grab your favorite fork, or, or spoon. Well, I'm not sure what you're supposed to use with this. Uh, just grab a spork to be safe, because it's time to dig in. So, uh, here we go. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Romans 1, 19-23 A large number of years ago, I was asked to give the lesson for the youth lock-in. Being an introvert, that was um, (laughs) terrifying. But I knew that if I could have my PowerPoint presentation as my security blanket, you know, by my side, I could get through it. I wanted to tell the kids that God didn't just expect us to walk completely by blind faith as Christians. Yeah, there are many things that we have to take by faith, but my point was that there were all sorts of evidences out there, and God reveals it to us bit by bit. I likened it to riding a snowmobile on a trail, and since probably none of them knew anything about this, the PowerPoint came in really handy. So when you ride a snowmobile, the trail is generally marked by little orange diamond signs or markers. You may ride for some distance until you happen across the next marker. Now for me, this was very disconcerting as I'm not confident in my directional abilities. So for every foot that I didn't have a marker, my anxiety grew and grew. Most of the time it was fine. Although there were a few times I gave up and turned around because I'm simply just terrible at navigation. But those markers, they would pop up and they would show you that you were still on the right path. And then between markers, you only had the direction and evidence you had been given thus far and the faith that the next marker would be up ahead somewhere. This is what I believe God does with us. Admittedly, this is nothing but theology by Dan, so take it for what it's worth, but I believe that God allows us to make discoveries from time to time that we can absolutely use as evidence that our faith is on target, that we're not believing in a myth, that we don't have to rely only on blind faith. Although I don't believe we must 
have the evidence, and I don't believe in a faith by sight only, or even to a large degree, I do believe that what Romans 1 says is true, that we can definitely see God in his creation, and from time to time we are granted very clear markers to help us continue to navigate. Not sure if that really made any sense or not. If it didn't, let me encourage you to get out the little men in black flashy thing and uh, just remove the last couple minutes from your memory, and then we shan't speak of it again. From LiveScience.com headline, Scientists Find Evidence for Biggest Earthquake in Human History. <laughs> that sounds fun, huh? So apparently archaeologists have discovered what they believe to have been a magnitude 9.5 earthquake that took place on what is now the northern coast of Chile. For reference, 9.5 is, uh, huge. Now, I remember the 1989 San Francisco earthquake because it took place right during the World Series. I remember seeing overpasses with large sections either gone or half fallen on the road below. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Now, that earthquake was a 6.9 on the Richter scale. So I found a website called yummymath.com, link is in the notes, where they gave a Richter magnitude scale and some equivalents that we could kind of use to get an idea. So, for example, a 2.0 magnitude earthquake is about the equivalent of one ton of TNT, like what would happen in a quarry or a mine. A magnitude 4.0 would be about a thousand tons of TNT, or the equivalent of a small nuclear weapon. A 6.9, such as what happened in San Francisco, is something just under 32 million tons of TNT, so 32,000 times more powerful than that small nuclear weapon. A 9.5 magnitude earthquake is approaching 1 trillion tons of TNT in force. I'm not even going to try to equivocate that to something because you will no more understand the equivocation as you will the 1 trillion tons of TNT. It's just a massive amount of energy. Now, scientists say that an earthquake of this strength would have created a 5,000-mile-long tsunami, creating waves up to 66 feet high, and would have traveled all the way from Chile to New Zealand, where it still had the power to throw, quote, car-sized boulders hundreds of miles inland. That's about a third of the way around the world, and still having that much power. Additionally, scientists found sediment, boulders, rocks, and some remains of sea creatures well inland in Chile's, and I'll pronounce this wrong, Atacama Desert. And just so we're clear, this is a desert that gets about one half of one inch of rain per year, so not exactly a floodplain. Now, the scientists performed radiocarbon dating, specifically carbon-14 dating, on what they found in order to determine when this might have happened. Now, I've discussed dating methods in the past on a, a few of the past episodes, and it's not overly trustworthy. However, the problem with the dating methods is the assumptions. And there's a lot of assumptions that have to be made with respect to age. Now, the more recent the finds and the more recent the assumptions that are made, generally, the more accurate the result. Not always, but generally. Now, I'd argue that 
the reason they're more accurate is because once you step outside of the 6,000 year or I'll even give you a 10,000 year range, you're actually outside the realm of reality. So your numbers will, by definition, go hinky. That said, they dated what they found and determined that this earthquake happened about 3,800 years ago. Well, that's kind of interesting. And then they say that evidence points to about a 1,000 year period before people started to venture back to the coastline. Study co-author James Goff said, quote, That's an amazing length of time given that they relied on the sea for food. Yeah, 1,000 years is a long time before they'd venture back to the coast. I'd almost say an unrealistic amount of time, in my opinion. The United States, if we think about this, as an independent country, has only been around for basically 250 years. Can you imagine a disaster, even one as big as that, that would keep civilization from an area, especially water, which is necessary for a lot of things, for four times the current life of the United States? I would have to say that seems um, unlikely. So let's propose another theory that will never be considered by mainstream science, as it goes against their religion. I had two thoughts upon reading this article. One, this massive earthquake was part of the flood of Noah's day. And two, it wasn't a matter of people being scared for a thousand years. It was a matter of people spreading out from the time of the Tower of Babel, making it all the way from the Middle East to the East Coast of South America. So, Knowing that Answers in Genesis has done this kind of research, and specifically that Bodie Hodge has done some good work with the migration of peoples and people groups out from Babel, I looked to them for some information based on the suspicions I had. In an article written by, you guessed it, Bodie Hodge, entitled, From Ararat to the Americas in a Few Thousand Years, I found some interesting information, which I'm going to grossly summarize here. Again, link in the notes. First, how long ago was the flood? Well, I generally use basic numbers, right? 6,000 years ago was creation, 4,500 years ago was the flood, and that's close enough for most conversation. Now, Archbishop James Usher, who lived in the 17th century, was one of the few people that endeavored to really figure out the exact date of creation and the major biblical events. In doing so, he placed creation at exactly October 23rd, 4004 BC. Now, I'm not going to claim that number is accurate to the day or even the exact year. Now, he had a very methodical way of determining the date, but I'd say that generally about 4000 BC for creation is correct. When working through the ages of people in the Bible, you can come up with about 4000 BC. Well, he then calculated the year of the flood to be 2349 BC and the Tower of Babel at 2242 BC. So the flood, per Usher's calculations, would have been about 4370 years ago. Now, for a carbon dating method that has assumptions built in, the difference between 3800 and 4370 isn't really all that much. In fact, to go just a little deeper into the science, the half-life for carbon-14 is 5,370 years. That's what they've calculated. I'm not going to argue with them. So they're saying that they calculated these samples 
on average, had lost about 35% of their carbon-14. Now, if I use Usher's date, it would be a loss of about 40% of their carbon-14. So you can see that a little assumption here, a slightly tainted sample there, there isn't really a lot of difference between these two numbers. Hodge went on to answer a question in this article about migration from Babel starting about 100 years after the flood. And this is going across the land bridge that was made possible due to the Ice Age that was initialized by the flood. Look into Answers in Genesis. You can find their explanation for the Ice Age. And then moving down into the Americas. Hodge quotes Mike Ord in his book, Frozen in Time, to say that it likely would have taken about the peak of the Ice Age to fully reveal the land bridge, which would have been about 400 years after Babel. Minimally, they figure the migration from the Middle East across the land bridge and down to South America would have taken about 60 years, but realistically, they wouldn't have made a beeline for something they didn't know existed. They would have explored, wandered, settled, moved, dealt with setbacks, dealt with seasons, and the list is probably nearly infinite. So realistically, Ord and Hodge both estimate that a period of up to a couple hundred years to reach the Americas is probably more likely. So they would estimate anywhere from 200 to 500 years after the flood for people to reach the Americas. Based on the assumption that it would take well into the Ice Age to reveal the land bridge, Personally, I'd go more toward the four or 500 year time period, somewhere in there to reach the Americas. And then time to again, travel, settle, deal with nature, etc. And you could be looking at getting down to the east coast of South America in maybe 600 years, seven, 800 years from the time of the flood. Now, granted, this is a, a wet finger in the air kind of prediction, but science says it took 1,000 years before people migrated back to the coast. I'd say that it was 500 years or more for new people to reach the coast. The people that were there, um, when that flood hit, they didn't really have a good day. Knowing that all these numbers, both in the original article, in Hodge's article, and then my own thoughts and guesses are purely just estimates doesn't this look an awful lot like the effect and after effects of the flood as described in the Bible? Genesis 7:11 says in part, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. This very well could have been one of the fault lines holding back a fountain of the deep. And then in Psalm 104, a poetic retelling of the flood account says, You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose up. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. See, it sure sounds like what these scientists found was a trail marker that's pointing them to the Bible for a real explanation of the evidence they're seeing. But that can't even be considered because even the consideration opens the door for someone to come in and remove their freedom to live however they want. As of right now, there are only man's rules, and for the most part, those aren't a big deal. At least not when compared with God's laws and expectations. 
Now, science, unfortunately, has painted itself in a corner. They're allowed to question the accepted narrative as long as they stay in the realm of what they consider to be science. They will not, and in some cases are threatened to the point where they cannot even consider a biblical model. Getting out of science is one of the most difficult decisions and actions someone can take. But my friend, you are not in that same corner. Look for articles like this one. You'll find them. They pop up from time to time. Contemplate what you find and how it possibly fits into what you know as the truth of scriptures. Don't just read a headline. Don't just skim the article. Read it. Don't just accept what they say is truth. Study it. Research it. Ask questions. And above all, think. When you start looking for the trail markers, you'd be surprised at what you may discover. See, this is the problem. I find these articles and they make me laugh or make my jaw drop or whatever. And I says to myself, I says, I says, this'll be a quick, somewhat humorous article that'll lead to the ability to tie a good biblical principle or two. And then I start thinking and then I start wondering. Then I start searching. And as I pull a thread, my entire plan unravels. And now I'm looking at a mess, trying to figure out how to fit this into a reasonable amount of time. That said, I am going to keep this one shorter because, just because, all right? Found on CP24.com, which is a Toronto, Canada-based website, self-described as Canada's first and only 24-hour local news channel. You hoser. <clears throat> Headline, MUST WATCH! It, it was in all caps, sorry. Toronto Zoo begins vaccinating some of its animals against COVID-19. Okay, so look, the gist is basically what we've seen around the country, around the world, and at various zoos already. We're still apparently panicking about COVID-19 because, well, not because of science. I put politics and agenda mostly, and that extends to everyone and everything across the entire universe, we must get chemical injections into everything in order to assure that we're completely safe for the rest of time. To which I'd ask, uh, how's that working out for you? But if you ran a zoo and if you bought into the fear porn, I could absolutely understand you wanting to vaccinate your animals. Animals get a number of vaccines for a number of things already, so why not add something for COVID-19 to the mix, right? So although I think it's absolutely asinine, what caught my attention was the statement made by the Toronto Zoo CEO, Dolph DeYoung, to CP24. Dolph said that there will be a number of animals that will get the shots, including primates, weasels, ferrets, tigers, and pigs. He added that the zoo hasn't actually had a case of COVID, but you know, pump them full anyway, because they're concerned for the health of the animals. Which again, per my caveats, I, okay, I guess I get it. But then he said, quote, These are voluntary inoculations. The animals choose to come over and interact with the animal care staff and then are delivered the vaccine. Some days they participate, some days they don't. So we'll keep working at it until we get all 120 inoculated. <laughs> now hold on, hold quiet, hold on, there's more. In a video, a staff member explains how the care team trains the animals using treats as rewards, quote, to voluntarily present an area of the body for a pretend poke. 
Hannah, the staff member, goes on to say, quote, the animal can walk away at any time. It is completely up to them whether they want to participate or not. Some days are more successful than other days, and that is okay. But giving the animals the option to participate in their own health care allows us to monitor their health more closely and efficiently without causing any undue stress. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Look, this isn't just for the COVID-19 vaccine, all right? They actually work on training them to do what they need them to do for various medical needs. But I stress again, train. Now, I'm an animal lover. But I'm also a realist that realizes that as much as I may enjoy a pet, the animal is still an animal. What's making my brain hurt is the way that these zoo workers are seemingly jumping from speaking of these animals as humans, back to animals, back to humans, without batting an eye. They say that the animal is free to participate in their health care. No animal truly knows what that means. You can't explain to an animal that you're giving them this shot because, you know, you want them to be healthy. They would simply stare at you, thinking something in whatever animal sounds they think in. See, they're equating the animal as human, but in the same breath, they say that they're training them using treats. Now, just by me saying the word treat, my dog is staring at me because he'd do just about anything for a treat. <laughs> wash the car, chase away the UPS guy, walk on water, anything you want. I just want a treat. See, you can train humans to do certain things as well, sort of. But generally, we make some sort of intellectual appeal, understanding that the person has the ability to comprehend what you're needing them to do. So the animal has the choice. But if they want a treat, they better make the right choice. The CEO said that the COVID shot was completely voluntary. Well, I mean, have you explained the pros and cons to the animal? Have you run through the laundry list of possible side effects with the animal? Has the animal been given enough time to get online and do some research looking for information about this? No, because, you know, first of all, animal. Second, it's not actually voluntary. How do I know? Because the staff told us they're training the animals, and the CEO said, quote, we'll keep working at it until we get all 120 inoculated. So the choice is actually, you can do it now, or soon. That doesn't seem like much of a choice. <laughs> and it shouldn't be. It's an animal. If the determination has been made that they need this shot, and I'd argue that doing that is stupid, but it's not my call, then you give them the shot. They literally can't reason out if they want the COVID shot. About the max of what they're reasoning out is, do I want to be annoyed today? Now, I've covered this before, and I'll cover it in the future, but in brief, this is the result of evolutionary thinking. This goes beyond people saying, I'm a dog mom to two fur babies, which is, which is like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. No, you're a pet owner with two dogs. And no, I'm not willing to go on a rant about that right now. Maybe later. Evolutionary thinking just posits humans as slightly more advanced animals. Therefore, animals are just slightly less advanced humans. But we all know, because it's written into our intellect, that animals are not human. Thus the training with treats rather than just reasoning with Mr. Tiger about his healthcare plan. Now that was stupid enough, but then it hit me. In theory, 
These animals actually have more freedoms in Canada than a large number of Canadian citizens, and to some degree, citizens of the United States. The animals didn't and don't have to mask up. The animals aren't told to stand on little circles and walk around their enclosure in one direction only to ensure social distancing, and theoretically getting the vax is voluntary. The governments of Canada and the U.S. have either mandated or attempted to mandate vaccines for as many groups of people as they can. Additionally, for the first six months, maybe nine months, of the new wonder chemicals that are totally safe and uber effective, and don't you dare say otherwise, the attempt was made to train us, just like the animals, give us treats in the form of cash and prizes. But now, well, the training is over. Now the penalties happen. Get the shot or get fired. Get discharged. Lose your benefits. I bet if we had the ability to rip arms from the shoulder sockets or eat faces off of people, the powers that be would continue to try to train us with treats. It's amazing to me that people, at least by perception, have less rights than zoo animals. But again, if you don't believe in God, there are no image bearers of God, just animals. And since humans do have that advanced intellect and can reason things out, consequences for non-compliance are considered more effective right now. So that was bad enough. But then something said by Dolph caught my attention. Remember, he's the CEO that said that this was totally voluntary, so the psychotic PETA people don't come and protest in their parking lot, but that they'll eventually get them all so that they don't have the psychotic President Blackface Trudeau come and enact some sort of emergency powers in their parking lot. He said that pigs were included in the totally mandatory voluntary injections. Well, I don't believe I've ever eaten zoo pig, but I have eaten farm pig, and I was wondering if there would be any chance that the animals we use for food in various ways could pass along vaccine uh, remnants to humans. We know that other drugs have been able to pass through, so could this vaccine. So I looked up the vaccine. This is made by Zoetis. Zoetis was founded in 1952 by Pfizer, I know, shocking, and produces drugs for animals, vaccines, medicines, etc. Now, Pfizer apparently spun Zoetis off as a separate, independent company in 2013. So as I was starting to look for how injecting livestock may affect people, I found that the Zoetis vaccine does not contain an mRNA component. No, they use a synthetically created spike protein in the vaccine with different carriers based on the species of animal. And so similar to the human vax, but not the same. And this difference is not trivial. See, in the human vaccine, the mRNA component is used to force our bodies to create the spike protein that our bodies are then supposed to recognize, fight, and learn from. The problem that's being seen is that we have no idea when or if the spike protein factories shut off. This is why although the chance of adverse effects like blood, heart, nervous system, etc., are present with both the virus itself and the vaccine, it's more prevalent with the vaccine because the mRNA part of the injection shoves our systems into overdrive and we're producing many, many times more spike than the virus would ever make with no defined endpoint to the production. 
As you likely know, traditional vaccines use a weakened or dead part of a real virus injected into our bodies to let our system find it, decode it, and develop the fighters we need to eliminate it or a variant, if it were to be seen in the future. The mRNA part of this vaccine has been probably the biggest sticking point for those of us that shan't be getting the shot. In fact, the company Novavax has been working on a more traditional style COVID vaccine. It's not exactly the same, but it's much closer. I'd have to look into it a lot more, and I really don't see a logical need to get any shot for this virus right now or anywhere in the future, to be honest. But although it's not exactly traditional, it would at least be worth evaluating as something much closer to traditional if push came to shove. So the Zuetta shot without an mRNA component is a kind of synthesized traditional vaccine. Why is it that animals have that but humans don't? Why is it that Zoetis isn't using an mRNA-style injection on animals? If a non-mRNA-style vaccine works fine for animals, why are mRNA-modifying injections the only possible way to vaccinate humans? Now, unlike mainstream science, I do know that there is a difference between animals and humans. So maybe the Zoetis-style made-for-humans injection wouldn't work for humans. I don't know. But I just kind of find this curious, don't you? So when it comes to COVID and the safe and effective vaccines that are actually not safe or effective or a vaccine, I have many, many questions. And I'd sure like to ask very specific people some of these very specific questions. Anyway, I'm going to end this one here. As part of my, I don't know, charter for this podcast, I didn't want to touch on COVID much at all, and so far I've been able to stick to that. Now, I could go into a number of points pertaining to faith and COVID, masks and shots and government and lying and freedom, but I don't think I want to do that right here. Maybe later. My main point to this was to point out the world of ridiculous chaos that the theory of evolution creates. As I've said many times, the theory of evolution doesn't actually uh, do anything for us. It literally serves no purpose. We need it for nothing in science, other than to remove God from our world. But the end result of a godless worldview is insanity, like what was presented in this article, trying to equivocate humans and animals. No, Humans are a special creation, given very specific and special attention, with specific abilities, specific responsibilities, and specific commands. We bear the image of God. That alone makes us unique. Unfortunately, science doesn't see humankind in that way, but what if they did? What if they agree that man was created, that mankind was created as either male or female, only that we were created unique? with fantastic systems, even with the ravages of sin, that allow us to process, reason, sympathize, and heal. How much different would this world be if we actually use the truth of the Bible with regard to man and God, rather than treating humans as nothing but mere animals? You've likely heard the saying, let them eat cake. But do you know how that saying actually originated? And we now associate that saying with completely out-of-touch elitists, you know, like those in D.C. and the media and most of the celebrities who have no idea how real, honest, hard-working people live. 
As for that saying, it now essentially means that the little people should stop their whining and just live like the elite and shut up. Well, back in the French Revolution, the people of France were starving, like literally starving to death. The grain needed to make the bread was basically gone. Marie Antoinette was told of the plight of her people that they had no bread to eat. Now, to you and me, that would mean they have no food. But to her, it meant that they just didn't have bread. So she offered what she felt was the best solution. Let them eat cake. Or more accurately, let them eat brioche, a sweet breakfast bread. Same difference, really. She was actually not being snarky or elitist. She was just so out of touch as to what was actually happening in the land. She was so isolated from her struggling kingdom that she honestly thought every house had meats, cheeses, breads, and cake, just like she did. She wasn't being dismissive of the problem at all. She actually just offered the most logical solution she could come up with, and I would guess was probably a little taken aback by the fact that they needed her to suggest the simplest of fixes. If they're out of bread, just eat the cake you have until you get more bread. It's not exactly bread, but it'll do just fine. Now, admittedly, there is some question as to if she actually said that, or if that was just pinned on her as the calls for her head ramped up. Well, until proven otherwise, I'll fall on the side of it actually happening, as, as you could see her innocently suggest that her subjects just eat the sweet bread they have. That'll, that'll work just as well. It's fine. So if you've seen any news over the last year or so, or if you've gone to a store in recent months, you'll notice an ever-increasing number of open spots on the shelves, number of products missing for weeks, a much smaller selection of whatever it is you're looking for to choose from. We can blame the pandemic. We can blame the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. We can blame China for welding their workers in their homes. We can blame President Joey Baby and his failure as a president in pretty much every facet. We could blame Russia, and we should. We should blame all of these and probably a lot more. But the bottom line is that uh, uh, here we are. One of the shortages that's been getting a lot of attention recently is baby formula. Images of empty shelves with signs taped to the shelf stating the limit per person. It's all over the news. Well, probably not all over the news. Uh, for instance, from two days ago when I found the article, while media outlets everywhere were covering the formula shortages and the panic is starting to drive, from CNN.com headline, Michelin menus in turmoil, and France faces foie gras crisis. No! We'll come back to the formula thing in a minute. You know, the real story. But just to be fully transparent, CNN came out on May 7th with this article about the elite restaurants not having enough fatty goose liver to sell their patrons. As of May 9th, the day I'm recording this, they have just in the last few hours posted two articles talking about the formula shortage. One earlier in the day saying it's getting worse, then one eight hours later parroting Jen Psaki that the FDA is, quote, working around the clock, you know, to address it. Now, I realize that May 7th was a Saturday, maybe to try to recoup some of the massive losses of their idiotic idea that people would literally pay to get more CNN content online, maybe they decided to send everyone home on the weekends. I mean, except for the, you know, the, the, the foie gras guy. But from what I could find, 
the last story they did on Formula was in February of this year. So that seems um, longer than a weekend ago. Maybe one of those two possibilities I just mentioned is true, or maybe it's because they're nothing but an extension of the Democrats and only say stuff about potentially controversial things when they've been given the party lie, I mean the party line, by Miss Pasaki herself. Eh, I'm sure that's not it. Uh, so let's quickly take a look at what the Brain Trust, the news of the people, CNN has to say about France's goose liver problem. If you look up foie gras cost online, I see I can get a 3.17 ounce tin from Walmart for a mere $43.90. That's just the liver in a can. Now, I can get a more specially prepared and packaged duck liver from Walmart, 2.8 ounces for $69.95. I could go to Vincent's Meat Market, wherever that is, and get a grade A, approximately one pound duck liver for $81.99. I would guess that if you were to purchase this in a Michelin star restaurant in France, the cost will likely be, uh, shall we say, more? while the portion size will be probably a lot less. But what do you care? You're rich! The author starts off with, quote, foie gras, the French culinary jewel that is as delicious as it is controversial, is a staple of upscale restaurants across the country, but now it's vanishing from menus during an unprecedented crisis that has seen some manufacturers began to consider reducing portions. <laughs> I mean, why? Why are we being punished like this? They're blaming this shortage primarily on the bird flu that they've been dealing with for months now. The shipments to chefs are getting smaller if they get any of it at all. These better-than-us diners, who I can almost guarantee would be just as out of touch as Marie Antoinette, suggesting that if, if we can't afford ground beef, why don't we just go to the restaurant and order foie gras? Well, they don't seem to care that foie gras is literally made by force-feeding geese and ducks in order to essentially destroy their liver with fat so that they can then eat that liver. And I know that some of you like to eat liver, any liver, and I'd have to ask, the heck is wrong with you? That's literally disgusting, and you should be ashamed of yourselves. Anywho, France has apparently had to kill 16 million poultry since this started, which, quote, this number is unprecedented for France, which had never been exposed to a crisis of such scale, said Marie-Pierre Pay, director of France's Interprofessional Committee for Foie Gras Producers. That's a, that's a real thing. She suggests that consumers should all eat less this year, so that more people can enjoy eating the fatty goose liver. <laughs> I tell you what, here, someone can have mine. There, I've done my good deed for the day. Can I go now? It's not just France. It's all the European Federation of Foie Gras member states. And yes, that's a real thing, including Spain, Belgium, Bulgaria, and Hungary. But they've learned valuable lessons from COVID. Good. The trick. What absolutely works safely and effectively to stop COVID in its tracks, it'll work for these too. Isolate and vaccinate. 
so they'll be vaccinating birds. But not until 2023, because two experimental vaccines are being tested, which let me point out they're taking infinitely longer to test a bird flu vaccine, you know, for birds so people can eat fatty livers than they did to test a brand new non-vaccine before they mandated everyone shove it in their arm. Unfortunately, as one chef said, quote, between the bird flu, the war in Ukraine, and all that, we're going to run out of a lot of products and we'll have to adapt with the products we have. 2022 will be the year with a bit more vegetable dishes and less meat. Yeah, yeah, no, it won't. No, yuck, ick, ugh. So that is what CNN felt was super important. In fact, more important to write about than the baby formula shortage. I mean, that is until they were, you know, told what to say by their leftist overlords. Now, at the same time, we had, for instance, and these were just a few examples, on Friday, May 6th, a story on WND.com and a story from WGME in Portland that was reposted on MSN. On Saturday, we had Breitbart put out a story, and trust me, there were many, many stories about the issues being encountered. Finally, CNN on May 9th, for the first time, like I said, since February, came out with a story and then eight hours later basically republished that story with Pisaki's comments that the FDA is working around the clock to make sure there's enough supply and that the supply is safe. And can I just be the first to say I totally, absolutely trust the FDA. Their work during the COVID issue, oh man, that has proven their absolute commitment and competence. <laughs> Oh, I almost made it. Okay, well, you know, look, in my opinion, the FDA should be shut down, disbanded, rechartered, and then restarted with an apolitical director under the oversight of a balanced congressional committee or something along those lines. What they are now and who they are now is a failed, agenda-driven, political, biased bureaucracy, and I don't think that they can be trusted. That said, Let's take a look at a few of the issues that are being seen across the country, just in case you haven't heard, as unless you're following local news to some degree or conservative media, it's just not being widely disseminated, at least not from what I've seen. So from WND.com headline, Supply Chain Disaster, Baby Formula Vanishes from Store Shelves, they cite a recent survey and these numbers can be found in pretty much every article right now, basically 40 to 50% of the top-selling brands were out of stock, like like everywhere. Uh, in Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota, they're dealing with 50% shortages. Missouri is seeing 52%, Texas 53%, and Tennessee at 54%, with 26 additional states in the 40 to 50% mark for outages. Apparently, this was an infection scare, one that uh, I guess can cause meningitis, and this occurred with some of the top-name brands. According to WND, one child died. According to the CNN article, now we're at two children that have died. It appears that this was not a result of the food processing. But, of course, that doesn't get the formula back on the shelves after recalling, shutting down production, etc. I mean, this takes time. They quote Jill Bradford, a mother of a five-month-old with special medical needs from Virginia. Quote, we've called the WIC office. We've called Thrive, which is a supply company. We've called every hospital system in the state. I've contacted personally every Kroger, Walgreens, Walmart, and CVS within the Tri-Cities area. Eh, don't worry, though. She found eight cans of what she needed. I mean, she paid $100 a can online when they're normally 43 but but hey, she found them. 
They also cite another mother in Kentucky that due to not being able to find formula, she dialed 911 to try and get help. Now moving to the WGME out of Portland article headline, It's a scary feeling. Nationwide baby formula shortage leaves Maine families scrambling. They cite a mother in Maine, Ricky White, who needs a specific type of Similac for her daughter, but can't find it. She said that they have family in Colorado that are trying to find it for her. She was told to contact the doctor's office to get samples, which she did. But she said that everyone is doing that, so the docs are all running out of even the samples. She went on to say that, quote, I'm thinking about exclusively breastfeeding because it's scary to have a formula shortage and to not know, like, oh, am I going to be able to feed by next week? It's a scary feeling. My personal feeling on this is absolutely, that would actually be a fantastic thing to do. If she can, if mothers can do this, they, they probably should. It'd be better for the kids anyway. But it should be done for the right reasons, not out of fear that your kid is going to starve. Moving to Breitbart, headline, exclusive baby formula shortage is getting worse. And they state that this actually started back in July of 21. A group that watches consumer goods, data assemblies, said that in July, the out-of-stock percentage moved into the double digits. Then starting in November, it went from 11% to 31% by April. They cite Katie Ruark, who has a baby that cannot breastfeed. Rather, he needs a special hypoallergenic formula. As they neared the bottom of the can, they couldn't find any at multiple stores, and they ended up having to take some from the can that they have at the daycare. But I mean, obviously that's not a permanent solution. A part of this is the problems of stockpiling or hoarding, you know, the mentality that people have been running with ever since the great toilet paper scare of aught 20. We, well, not we, but some of we, hoarded toilet paper and disinfectant wipes. And ever since then, we've had shortages of products on the shelves. Is it from people stockpiling or hoarding? Or is it from supply chain issues? I don't know. Finally on The Blaze, headline, Baby Formula Shortage Prompts Tearful Mom to Panic. I Broke Down. Winter Balthrop from Tennessee has an eight-month-old daughter who needs a specific hypoallergenic formulation of Enfamil. Exclusively. She's not at a point where she could transition to regular dairy or nut milk, so they're relying on finding this specific formula. She said, quote, We went to six different stores and searched and called multiple others as far as three hours away from us. We were not able to find one can or bottle of her formula. Balthrop said that she was forced to give her daughter a generic version, which reportedly made the child sick. She continued, quote, I broke down in the car. I was panicking and sad for my girl because we had enough formula left to make one bottle and I knew we would have to use the generic formula that hurt her stomach again and that broke my heart. So while the rich deal with a foie gras shortage, which look, if you have the money and you choose to use it on that, I mean, that's up to you. I'm not going to fault you for that. But I will condemn CNN who apparently thinks that uh, that's the important story to tell us. That's what the average person is worried about. And that's what they think. You know, fatty goose liver in high-end restaurants in France. It's, that is until the, the White House comes out to tell us, you know, all that they're working so hard. Don't worry. All the stuff they're absolutely making worse, they'll definitely make it better. And until it's better, they will not stop. They will not rest. They will not hesitate to continue to blame the pandemic or Putin, Russia, Trump, January 6th, those darned Republicans in Congress, 
and uh, and you. You know, keep blaming you until they fix it, or more more accurately, until it's fixed, despite the failures of this bumbling, destructive administration. But while the population at large is literally trying to figure out where the next meal for their baby is coming from, these elitist leftists in the media are more interested in telling us about elitist issues until the White House dictates the news cycle, probably because they're getting pressured to say something by the filthy, smelly rabble they represent. You know, you and me. So what do we do? Well, I've got three quick suggestions. First, look out for your family. Parents, fathers, this goes beyond doing the weekly shopping. This is preparing. With everything going on, formula is likely only the beginning. Goya Food CEO Bob Yunanu uh, came out about two weeks ago warning that a global food crisis is coming. Now, he pins the bulk of what he's seeing on the war in Ukraine due to the combination of Russia and Ukraine making 50% of the world's fertilizer, 30% of the world's wheat, and 20% of corn, among other things. Now, I've heard others say that the United States will weather the food shortages fairly well, but poorer countries will suffer tremendously. Add on top of that, as of May 2nd, there have been over two dozen mysterious fires at food processing plants in the United States. This is simply unheard of. I work in industry, not food, but in a production facility. Fires just don't happen like this. Now, we've had a few wildfires. Okay, that's fine. We've had not one, but two small airplane crashes. And that's kind of odd, to say the least. And then we've got just uh, just fires, like, say, one on the roof of a building, which is kind of an odd place for a fire to start. There's a link in the notes giving a brief summary of all these fires so far. Here's the thing. I have no idea what's going on or if we in the U.S. will be facing literal crisis-level shortages. But I think that as parents, and I stress this again, as fathers, we need to be looking at the possibility of some difficult times ahead. Shortages, purchase limits, medicines and specialty food and other products disappearing. I'm not a proponent of hoarding. I know that some Christians even eschew stocking up anything, citing the words of Jesus that if God clothes the flowers, he'll surely take care of us. And I believe that to be true. However, as I read the context of that passage, this was a teaching on fear and anxiousness causing us to take our eyes off of God and put them on ourselves, on our own strength, and the faux sense of security that money and stuff can bring. I don't read this as a don't plan type of passage. In fact, going back to the wisdom literature, back to Proverbs, we're told to look at the ant. It's not given any direction, it has no commander, but it gathers and stores in the summer and fall so that it has what it needs to survive in the winter. We aren't made promises in Proverbs, and specifically we're not commanded in this passage to gather and store, nor are we promised that if we do, everything will be fine. But as general wisdom, look ahead, plan ahead. If we wait for the government to tell us hard times are here now, eh, it's too late. So my recommendation, have some extra. Buy two boxes of whatever, put one back and use the other. The next time you go shopping, buy two cans, put one back, use the other, etc. You may want to do that a bit faster than one thing per trip, but you get the idea. You may want to do that with hygiene products, medicines. And if you have anything that's critical, you may want to stock up a little higher. Maybe getting online and ordering some freeze-dried survival food. Maybe that makes sense. It's kind of expensive all at once, but it's pretty inexpensive when you look at it you know, per calorie or per meal. 
whatever you do, don't be caught unaware. Be prepared for times to get difficult. And if they don't, well, when the concern is passed, you can bring your level of stock back down. Second, I just told you not to be caught unaware. And to finish that thought, plenty of people will be. These will include friends, family, co-workers, neighbors. If you're able to take care of your family and you're able to help others, do so. If you have the ability to stock up more because you're in a good position to do so, well, do it. Remember that Jesus told us that when we help those in need of help, when we see a need and do what we can to help with that need, we do it to him. But if we see a need that we can help with and we ignore it, we also do that to him. Be prepared, if you can, to help others. Lastly, don't be afraid. We're going to hear more and more about trouble, about shortages, about panic. Regardless of what level actually makes it here, we're going to be bombarded soon with all sorts of fear porn about the state of our world and country. And most outlets will tell us that only the government, specifically only the left, can help and can fix this, despite the fact that they are the ones that, you know, keep making things worse. But going back to what I just previously mentioned, Jesus told us, quote, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, worrying won't do us a bit of good. Now plan, prepare, make logical, rational decisions, but don't panic. Don't lose sight of who holds this world in his hands, who is sovereignly controlling all aspects of this world. Be wise and put your trust, your faith in God, not just for salvation, but also for your daily bread. The promise to those of us that are saved is that no matter what happens, it all turns out better than we could ever imagine in the end. So why walk around in a state of fear? And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast at outlook.com or increasingly I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.